We're picking up in James chapter 2 this morning, so if you want to go ahead and get your Bibles and turn there to follow along, do so now. We'll get going here in a moment with prayer. Are there any announcements or uh, prayer requests this morning? It's good to see the Wilson family with us. Y'all must be enjoying some uh, people being stateside. So, uh, of course, Derek and Danielle are stateside for, I guess, about another week maybe. I can't remember exactly what day they're leaving, but about a week. So uh, hopefully we'll see them and uh, enjoy their presence while they're here. Please uh, give them a pat on the back and a hug around the neck. Let them know how much we appreciate the work they're doing in Peru. Any other announcements? All right, let's start off with a word of prayer, please. Bow with me. Heavenly Father, our Lord God Almighty, we are thankful for the ability we have to be in your presence this morning. Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity to approach your throne. And and God, we're so thankful for the blessings that you continue to heap upon our heads. And God, we ask that you be with us, especially during this Bible study hour, that we open up your word that you've inspired through your writer James. And that we be able to garner some of the lessons from this to apply to our lives, encourage us and strengthen us admonish us to be stronger, more faithfully dedicated Christians. God, we ask you to be with those that are sick and those that are dealing with illnesses and, and different treatments. We, we know that Sister Ann Hardcart's on our minds as she's going through this latest round of chemotherapy. And we ask you to be with her and uh, be with uh, the whole family as they go through this uh, experience and ordeal again. Lord, please give them strength. And uh, let them know our love and our support as they endure the, the trials they are at this point. And Lord, help those trials to perfect their faith, encourage them in, in all of the ways that you really understand sometimes, God. But encourage them and lift them up. God, we ask you to be with the others that have lost loved ones in recent weeks. I continue to encourage them and to give them that peace that passes all understanding because they rely and lean upon you and your understanding and not our own. God, we thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary for our sins, and it's through his name that we offer this prayer. Amen. We ended last week with uh, getting into point two of the lesson, so since there's really three points, there's no way I'm going to get through it all. You says Freddie Michaels' sister? Freddie, oh, Freddie Johnston's sister, yes. Miss Dean, right? That's, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and I was talking with Freddie about that before, and I should have announced that uh, and encouraged that. Uh, we, Freddie Johnston, um, uh, well, Renford, Freddie, and Miss Shirley, uh, their brother, I mean, their sister, Miss Dean, is uh, not doing well. She's really on the verge of death this week. Uh, so please keep that family in your prayers as we, uh, as you think about them this week. I'm not sure exactly what the latest was this morning, but Freddie said she is not doing well. He hadn't heard anything this morning yet. So keep that family in your prayers. Thank you for reminding me. Uh, we talked about uh, last week, we began the second point, which would be demonic faith. 
If you look in James chapter 2 there in the verses that we uh, are discussing in this particular section, verses 14 through 26, James really utilizes uh, some of the discussion here to kind of point out the different types of faith as well as the impact upon faith that actions have or, or works is a lot of the word that's usually used in the passages that are interpreted in our English Bible. Faith and works, that combination there. And so James really kind of points out things. Last week we talked about the first one that uh, James uh, confronts and deals with would be dead faith. Uh, faith without works is dead. As you see multiple times it's said uh, there, but uh, verse 17, of course, as you look through 14 through 17, verse 17 concludes, says, even so faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Uh, dead faith is nothing more than an intellectual experience we talked about last week. It's where you've got the knowledge. You may have uh, the studying, uh, you know, know-how of, of understanding or thinking about God or knowing possibly what you should do, but you're not taking any action. So faith without works is dead. In fact, if you are, have no works, if you are not doing anything for God, then literally what James says is your faith really has no use. At all, it's useless. And so really, in fact, you'd be better off not even having faith at all if it's not being put to work. Secondly, what we want to get into and what we started last week is the idea of demonic faith. And uh, James uses an example in, in James chapter 4, verses 18 through 19, kind of looking at the, the idea and the, uh, the failure, really, of demonic faith. And in fact, we got to this first point of demonic faith last week, the fact that uh, demons' faith... The idea that demons believe, that, that faith, that uh, experience of demons show us that belief is not enough. It is not enough. You think back, what, you know, most of us are shocked to think about the fact that, that demons have belief in God. That they have some type of a faith, really, in God. Now, how can that be? Well, first of all, demons know exactly who God is. Uh, you look through the scriptures, there are, are multiple scriptures showing kind of the idea that they believe in God. In fact, if you look with me over in, uh, let's look real quickly, um, Mark chapter 3. I want to flip over and show a couple, you know, point out a few things to you that maybe you hadn't caught before. But it kind of really impacts our study here. There in about verse 11 and 12. It says, when the unclean spirits saw him, some of your versions may say evil spirits. Uh, some render this as being demons, uh, that kind of, kind of same uh, spiritual uh, individual character that we see. Uh, whenever the unclean spirits saw him, and by the way, if you look at what, who him is, that's going to be Jesus, uh, looking back there at the context of the passage. They would fall down before him and shout, you are the son of God. And he earnestly warned them not to tell who he was. There was a belief on the spirits, the evil spirits, the demons, uh, that they believed and they recognized the deity and the authority of Jesus Christ. There was a recognition there of who Christ was, where he came from, what he could do. Other passages you see, and such as Mark chapter 5. Flip the page, you see Mark chapter 5, where, or I guess flip the chapter, mine's two pages. Mark chapter 5, the, the uh, demonic there in the garrison, we know the story there of, of Jesus casting out the, the demon there. And chapter 5, you see that through uh, verse, I don't know, it's probably verse 1 through 20 or so, but the story there, the demonic. And um, you see there the interaction with Jesus and verses 1 through 33 shows and indicates that there is an understanding, there is a belief, there is... Uh, the knowledge that they have as demons that God is going to be the one who judges 
God has that, uh, that authority, that, that Christ has the authority as deity to be able to judge them. Why? Well, you see their reaction to what Jesus said. Uh, verse 9, you know, Jesus addresses the, and says, you know, who are you? What's your name? And he says to him, my name's Legion, for we are many. Uh, that gets into a whole other discussion there of how you can have a singular and a plurality there of demons. But I, we don't want to get into that mess this morning. The, the fact is there, the demon's name was Legion. There was many. And he became one. I, I don't understand it myself necessarily. But you see there that he earnestly implored him not to send him out of the country. There's a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored him saying, send us into the swine so we may enter them. And Jesus gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea. And about 2,000 of them and they were drowned in the sea. You know, you see the reaction, obviously, is what occurred there. But the interaction between Jesus and the demons there, between Jesus and Legion, I think it's very telling with respect to what they acknowledge, what they know, what they feel, what they think about who God is and who Jesus is. The demons had an understanding there that Jesus was indeed the Son of God, and he had the ability to judge them and reckon that judgment toward them. He could met it out. Whatever he said, he would do. They, they did not want to be cast out of the country. Now, why? We can speculate all day long as to why they didn't want to go out of the country. I find it interesting. They didn't want to go out of the country, but then Jesus put them in swine and they, they killed themselves. So what happens to evil spirits there? We don't know that answer either, by the way. Uh, we could probably guess and speculate and, and talk about We don't really know the answer to that. But obviously, they wanted to do something. They asked God for, or Jesus for permission here. Why would they ask Jesus for permission? They knew, they understood that his judgment, his authority allowed him to make that call. Now you think else, what else do demons know? Demons also acknowledge and understand, they express a belief in the existence of a place of punishment. Look look at Luke chapter 8 real quick. Luke chapter 8. Verse, uh, I think it's 31, yeah. Again, this is Luke's account of the the Gerasene demonic legion. Verse 30, of course, is what's your name? He said, legion, for for many demons had entered him. Uh, Verse 31, they were imploring him not to command them to go away into the abyss. Now, this kind of gives a little bit of clarity as to potentially what the other verse meant about not sending them out of this country. And in fact, that could be out of this realm, if you want to get into this whole speculative kind of uh, the, the descriptions of uh, eternity, uh, earthly existence. Here, the, the word is the abyss. And the abyss is commonly referred to as the place of torment or judgment. And it is used synonymously with the place where demons would be held captive in judgment. The demons believed that Jesus had the power, had the authority had the ability to judge them, had the ability to send them out away from these things. They had this belief. But what James tells us in James chapter 2, there in verse 19, that because demons believe, that's still not enough for them. That's not enough to save them. Their belief here, they shouted out to Christ, identifying him as Christ. They identified him as being the Son of God was not enough. So demonic faith shows us that just believing in God, believing in who Jesus Christ is, is not enough in this world. 
Secondly, the second point that I think is good for us to see and hear and, and understand from demonic faith is the fact that demons show us that trembling is not enough. Now, what's the big deal with trembling? Well, if you think about the connection between belief or faith and, and then the reaction that sometimes you have, uh, it could really be argued this, is that the idea of belief is that the gaining of knowledge, the acceptance of a fact or knowledge into your life. And, and so when you believe something, obviously you render it to be true. And so, you know, a lot of us uh, would probably equate that to, uh, you know, children when they really have a, a belief that a parent is going to discipline them. They understand that, right? They have that, that, that knowledge in their life that if they do certain thing, they're going to have a certain consequence. And that's what we try to instill in our children as they grow up. And as they do it, so that understanding is one point. Their reaction is something totally different. Uh, their reaction to that obviously can also cause you maybe to take pause before you do so. I've done that before. Before I've decided to spank my sweet little child that all of y'all cannot understand that they would ever be nothing but perfect. Um, I tell you, it is not true. They are not perfect children. Uh, all of us who are parents know no children's perfect <laughs> Um, you, you really see how they push the limits. But there have been times when the understanding of the idea that they have done wrong and then their reaction thereto becomes something so much that I don't even see necessarily the need to punish them anymore, right? Because it's kind of like they punish themselves. I have had instances where I've, you know, I've got the look, I guess, as a dad. I don't know if y'all know that or not, but some, you know, sometimes dads can just look, especially at daughters, it seems like. And just kind of look over at them and give them a certain look. And that just instills enough into that child. It just brings them to tears. I don't know. Josh, you got two boys. I'm not sure the look works for you. I don't, I don't know how that works or not. And uh, Sometimes I get a look from my mom, but I don't remember having that same reaction. My dad's look was something different. And uh, I have that sometimes with my, my daughters where I would look over and Tinley knows. And as obstinate and as stubborn as she is, Tinley will realize that daddy means big business. And I'm about to get a bruising. And um, not literally, figuratively. i got to be careful nowadays. I don't want y'all to report me for abuse or anything. And her reaction is to the extent where she starts sobbing on her own without me even spanking her. Because she knows she's in the wrong. She knows she's done something wrong. And I look over at Monica and say, what's the point now? You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's, the point's been made. But the interesting thing, though, is with God, when you think about the, the idea of belief and faith and the incorporation of a reaction, what we see in scriptures is that's still not enough for salvation. That's not enough because you see in the scripture here, demons had the belief and they trembled. But yet demons aren't saved. Evil spirits are still evil. It's not enough just to know and to have a reaction to things, it requires more. And what James is going to ultimately counter and he's going to ultimately reinforce is the fact that, that something more is the works, the actions, the obedient things that you do because you believe, the obedient actions that you undertake because you have a reaction to God. That emotional response is important, yes. It brings us to obedience. But the evil spirits and the demons didn't do that. So their faith was dead. A person can be enlightened in their mind and even stirred in their heart and still be lost forever. And that's what demons show us in this passage of Scripture. 
Now compare that to the religious world around us today and what does it tell us? It tells us there's a lot of people with demonic faith around us. There is a lot of people. There's even some people probably that would say they're members of the Lord's church that have a demonic faith. Why? Because they, they believe. They have faith. In fact, they're in the pews on Sundays, sometimes Sunday mornings and nights, and sometimes even on Wednesdays. They're even a part sometimes of Bible studies. They even have an emotional reaction, right? I mean, they have that emotional reaction. But yet they don't do anything with their faith. What James would say, hey, hey, you believe in God? Hey, well done. Good job. Pat yourself on the back. It's a good thing. Yes, we all need to believe in God. But guess what? The demons believe. And they tremble. It's not enough. And what James encourages us is we've got to go beyond demonic faith. We don't want to be grouped with the demons. I don't know about you, but I don't want to show up on that day of judgment before God and God to say, hey, yeah, you did good. You believed in me. That's good. That's not enough. That's the example we see, right? You know, you, you saw me hungry. You didn't give me anything to drink. You saw me naked. You didn't, you didn't give me clothing. You know, when did, it, when did I see you, Lord? When did, I, when did I experience this? And God says, you know, when you did it, the least of these, you did it to me. What God is, is telling us, what Jesus was telling us in that direct sermon there is the idea that we have got to do something more than merely believe and, and have a reaction. We may have an emotional stirring. We may have sympathy. We may have sadness. We've got to do more because we believe. And because we have an emotional reaction to those things around us. Saving faith is what James wants us to have. Saving faith is what God wants us to to understand and undertake and experience. But saving faith involves something more, something that can be seen and recognized. It requires literally a changed life. You look in verse 18, and that's what you're going to see here as we talk about demonic faith here. What Jesus says, or what James says in, in James chapter 2 there in verse 18, it says, Someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I'll show you my faith, what? By my works. What James says is the saving faith, the faith that really he's talking about here in this whole passage of Scripture is a faith that has works along with it. It doesn't travel solo. It's not alone. Faith alone does not save. In fact, faith alone is dead. Now what James encourages us here, we want to avoid dead faith. We want to avoid demonic faith. And what James wants us to have, what he wants the Christians there to have, would be dynamic faith. He wants a faith that's in action. He wants to have this third type of faith that he encourages them to look at. Now, a lot of the teaching here is really teaching in the negative. He's describing the dead faith. He's describing the demonic faith. He's describing all these things that faith should not be. In a a hope and in an effort to try and encourage them to understand what faith should be. And the faith that should be in our lives, the faith that should be a part of Christians' lives, is dynamic faith. Now, let me, I'm going to pause here for just a second before we get into this passage. I want you to remember the context of this passage here. James is not talking, by the way, to those who are lost. Those who are sinners. Who have never experienced the saving grace of God. 
Okay, we need to understand the context of this passage here. So many times we get caught up in James chapter 2. And I mentioned this, I believe, last week when I talked about James 2. So many times we get caught up here talking about, well, this is the faith that is saving as in the initial point of salvation when we meet the blood of Christ. Well, that's not what James is really confronting if you really look at the context of the passage. It can be discussed and I believe implemented and incorporated in that kind of discussion Because I believe you've got to be obedient to the commandments of God in order to meet that saving blood of Christ. Look at Romans chapter 6. There's a process there in order to you be buried with Christ. So, But we've got to understand the context here. Who's James talking to? It goes back to our initial lesson in this series. James is talking to those who have already been saved, who are Christians, who have touched the blood of Christ. And now he's talking about the faith that they have. So I think it's important for us to undertake and note, and you may want to write it in the corner of your Bible, that he's not really addressing those who have not been saved yet. He's addressing those who have experienced the saving blood of Jesus Christ, but now falter in the faith that they experience and live in their lives. Does that make sense? It's different. And you've got to look at the context of a passage when you get in any kind of debate. And that's why I have a, a huge problem when, you know, those who are of Calvinistic beliefs are talking about a faith alone saves. Well, that's not even what James is really talking about here of meeting that initial point of salvation. That's not the context of this passage. Now, you can use this, I think, to argue against it. Don't get me wrong. Because it incorporates right into the idea of, of faith, true biblical faith being an obedient faith. But these admonitions here in this passage are talking to those who have already been covered with the blood of Jesus. And he tells them, you can now have dead faith, Christians. Why? Because you got all this knowledge, you got all this good stuff in your mind, but you're doing nothing. Christians, you can have demonic faith. Why? Because even though you have been baptized for the remission of your sins, even though you have experienced something, being that saving grace of Christ, when you were immersed for the remission of your sins, even though you've gone through that, you can still have demonic faith. Why? Because you, you believe, you have faith that God is God, that Jesus is Jesus, the Son of God. And, and you may have all these other beliefs and ideas in your mind ingrained through the teaching and the, the instruction of the church and of the apostles and, and of all those who, who teach the apostles' doctrine afterwards. You may even have an emotional response to those things. But that's not enough, Christians. That's not enough to do that. Because faith without works is dead. And so you see now this third type of faith that I want to discuss as he concludes and ends this section of Scripture is is a real faith. And by real, I mean it is complete. It is something that is, is working. It is active in the Christian's life. It has power in life. It is a, is a powerful faith. It results in a changed life because it's so powerful. And the dynamic faith is a faith that, that takes up in all the knowledge. It, it experiences the emotional stimuli of all those reactions that we have when we realize we are to be living the life that Christ wants us to live and not what we are living. When we look around us and see all those in need, we have that emotional, compassionate response, just like our Lord and Savior did when he saw all those in need. And we, we reach out because of that, and we actually do something. We spread the word of God. We teach. We preach the saving power of Jesus. We, 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 we reach out with a, a saving hand in many respects, even on a physical level, and help all those that we can because we're being benevolent. We're being loving to those who can't help themselves. 
We're doing all those things. We're taking all those actions because we have this faith. We have this belief. We have that emotional stimulus. We have that reaction to that belief and to that understanding. And then we have works. And James says, without those works, you got nothing. Because those works ultimately are what changes your lives and gives us our, our lives meaning and a more full uh, experience. It gives our lives a focus. It gives our lives a completeness that we cannot experience any other way but having works that come about because of our faith. Look real quick. We haven't read verses 20 through 26, and I want to read those before we keep discussing this. But look in James chapter 2. Read along with me, verses 20 through 26. But you are willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless. Was not Abraham our father justified? By works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar. You see, faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. By the way, the only time in scripture faith alone is mentioned. Verse 24. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. You know, I'm not sure how it could be much clearer for us as Christians. Now, I guess you can just rip up the book of James and just throw it in the garbage can and say, oh, we don't need it. And literally, physically, I guess really more figuratively, um, that's what some religions do, to be honest with you. Because this whole passage of Scripture is not followed, it is not taught, it is not even recognized among those who teach doctrines that espouse uh, Calvinism. If you really get into the nitty-gritty, a lot of our denominations, almost every one of them, to be honest with you, go back to almost the five points of Calvinism and what they teach and preach. One of those things in the points of Calvinism is what we call once saved, always saved. Y'all ever heard that doctrine? It, it's a lot. It's, it's out there a lot. And in fact, if you get to the discussions and religious conversation with leaders of denominations, you're ultimately going to have to get them in that corner and they're going to have a hard time saying they don't believe that because that's really some of the paramount beliefs of their faith. It's in their creed books. It is taught in some way, some form, even from pulpits and in classrooms. And the idea and concept there is is that, hey, it doesn't matter what you do once you're saved because you're always going to be a part of the elect. So it doesn't matter. It's not going to impact you. And in fact, then what they teach whenever people say, well, that doesn't make any sense. You know, well, what about those who who do these terrible things? Well, then they go back and they kind of amend it, don't they, Verl? And they say, well, you know, hey, that means you really weren't saved to begin with. So it goes back and questions your whole salvation from the beginning. It, it makes no sense. I think it would be good for us to study maybe Calvinism and its, and its detail to, to let you see exactly where the, fall, the faults and fallacies of that doctrine is. But that's one of the big ones right here. How can you read James chapter 2, verses 20 through 26, and not realize that if you don't do something, you are useless and you are dead? In fact, verse 26, I think... Hems it in much better than any other verse and parallel there. How is it that the, the body without the spirit is dead? 
The body without the spirit. If we no longer have our spirit with us and our body, our body's dead. It's useless. It's of nothing. It might as well return to the dirt, right? That's what it is. That's what it's worth. Our spirit's what's the power. Our spirit is where the life is. Same thing, and it compares it. You know, this is a dead body we're comparing this to, okay? Keep that in mind. Most of us don't like talking about dead people. We don't like talking about death. But guess what? That's what your faith is if you have no works. What James is telling us in these scriptures here is that Christians must have a dynamic faith. Now, what do we see from the scriptures here to tell us, to help reinforce this type of, of, of faith? What is this faith made up of? What is it comprised of? Well, his conflu- concluding section here helps reinforce this type of faith that we need. And what he says here is that dynamic faith, number one, is based upon the word of God. We saw that earlier as we looked in verse 18, but look on down to verse 21 here. Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up the son? And see, faith was working with his works. As a result of the works, faith was perfected. The idea here is that the word of God, verse 21, is what it, Abraham's faith was based upon. Now, what do you mean, John? Well, how was it based upon the word of God here? We're not talking about Abraham wasn't reading the Torah, you know, and getting the descriptions from, from God at that point. How else, let me ask you this, how else did Abraham know he was supposed to sacrifice Isaac? He was told. Yeah, he was, he was given a direct commandment from God. So therefore, the word of God became the basis of Abraham's faith. That's the dynamic faith that you see here. What about Rahab? Rahab is another example that's used here in the scriptures here. How did Rahab know what she was supposed to be able to do? She was told by the people of Israel, right? When, when Joshua sent the, or when uh, the spies went in to uh, Jericho, they told her that if you want to be saved, if you want to be saved, after hiding us and, and after, you know, Put that cord out your window. Remember that story? I'm not going to read the story to you. Go back and read it if you don't remember it. We only know that because that was given by God's people. So therefore, translated would be, that would be the word of God because God adopted that as being the commandment to Rahab. He honored that ultimately after she obediently did those things, those commandments. So her faith was founded upon the word of God. Now, how was our faith founded upon? How do we create faith in life? Is it just something that just happens? You wake up one morning and say, oh, I have faith in God. No, it's not. It makes no sense to do that, does it? Because you have no knowledge, you have no understanding, you have no respect. You don't have any basis or foundation for faith at that point. Our faith is founded upon what? The Word of God. Just like these two examples we see in Scripture and every other example you see about those who have faith. Look at Hebrews 11, by the way. Some good examples there of those that had faith. Look, every time, what is it founded upon? Noah, his faith, what is it founded upon? The word of God. God told him, Noah, build an ark. He built it. Every time faith is seen in scriptures, it is preceded by the word of God. Romans 10, 17, the verse that we like to show, and thankfully the little kids are learning it as they're up here talking about, faith comes by hearing, faith comes by hearing, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. That's what it is. Don't forget Romans 10, 17 in your lives, Christians. James is telling us here there is a foundation of true faith. If you want dynamic faith, James says, hey, remember Abraham. Remember where he got his source of faith. It's from God. Christians, 
Don't forget that if you're going to have true, living, dynamic, powerful faith in your life, it comes from the Word of God. Without the Word of God, you've got no faith. Now, how does this impact our lives? Well, hopefully, it will mean as Christians, we look to the Word of God for its authority. You cannot have authority unless it is given to you. That's the authority principle. And we've talked about that before, Howard Robert, the idea of authority. Authority is given by that person who has authority. Ultimately, there is only one person with authority, one being. I hate to say person because it sounds like he's in the flesh. But God has authority. God has authority. And if God has not given you authority, you don't got it. That's why elders in the local church, they have authority. Why? Because God gave them authority. He said, I want elders appointed. I want them to be a part of the leadership of a local congregation. That's why we don't usurp elders. That's why we don't go against those things elders want in our lives. Why? Because they've been given authority from God. What about us in our lives as Christians? Those things which we do on a Sunday morning, we're about to experience worship together, right? We're not going to do things that we don't see given by the word of God. Why? Because we don't have the authority to make up what we want. It doesn't matter. Hill of beans. If I think a guitar sounds good, if God doesn't say, use a guitar, I ain't going to use it. Why? I don't have the authority. Neither do you. If God says do something a certain way, that should create not just faith, but obedience in our works. Our works and obedience and faith all go back to the word of God. And if you don't have that basis, you might as well throw out your faith altogether. Dynamic faith, true biblical faith is founded upon, first and foremost, the word of God. Secondly, look. See here, true dynamic faith, and what James says here, it involves the whole man. The whole man, not just a part of man. Think about this as you reflect back up on the previous points about the different types of faith. You know, dead faith involved what? Man's intellect, man's mind, knowledge. You know, you got dead faith, you got nothing more. If all you got is, is, is knowledge, that's great. It's good that you know those things, but it's dead, people. It's useless is another word, by the way. I don't think any of us wants to get across and get up in front of the judgment seat of God and say, hey, God, I'm proud of my useless faith. Bring me home. And does, any, does anybody really feel like you're going to get up there and say that with a lot of proud and pride and assurance? No. But dead faith revolves around just our intellect. That's that's all it is. Now, you see, demonic faith involves both the mind and the emotions, we see, as the description of the demons. You know, they believed, they had faith, and they they trembled. Why? Because they realized what the repercussions could be. They could be sent away into the abyss, and they trembled instead and said, God, don't do that. You know, Jesus, please don't make us go there. Send us into the swine instead. So they trembled. It involves both intellect and emotions. But dynamic faith, if you see here, involves what I would say would be the will. The will. And this is the will of man, of course. Our will is comprised of more than just knowing something. It's more than just knowledge. But it's also a firm conviction. And it's also a firm conviction that ultimately leads to an impact into our lives. Our will are those things which we create in ourselves because of our belief and because of our faith or because of our firm convictions, and it influences everything that we do. I'm not talking about the will of God now. That's a different thing. I'm talking about man's will here. And involving the will of man is something that is a completeness because the, the, 
just be frank with you, if you're going to take action and do something, then obviously you're on board with that. That's what the will is. It's the wholeness of yourself. It's not just your mind, but it's the mind connected with the emotions and your emotions connected with the, your, your actions and your decisions and those things which you take to indicate that you believe a certain way or a certain path. That's what your will is. You know, the will of God, of course, is that all is saved, that all become reunited with him. That's the overarching, I call it the big will of God. We can get into the big will versus little will of God. But the will of God is that all come through repentance back to him. That's God's will. Now, everything else falls under that, if you think. And everything God has done coincides with that will, right? His scheme of redemption, his plan of salvation, the providence of his actions in this world. If you want to study providence, you want to talk about the preservation of things, you know, and according to the everyday ordinary uh, decision making of other individuals, everything God allows to happen allows because of his will. The same thing can be kind of translated to us in our lives. Everything in our lives happens because of our will. Now, what our goal should be is that our will and his will match. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't happen that way. But true dynamic faith actually implicates and indicates and incorporates the will of man in the fact that dynamic faith should be something that overriding uh, makes the decisions for you so that everything you do is, of course, in accordance with God's word and also goes forward to being in accordance with his will. Being based upon the whole man, being based upon the whole person is, is the true definition of a saving faith. You see in, in Hebrews chapter 11, the idea that those individuals listed as being part of this great hall of faith, they weren't perfect individuals by any means. I think every one of them we could point to and say, hey, here's a bad thing they did in their life according to the scriptures even. But what you do see is that their will was impacted by their faith. What Noah did ultimately was impacted because he had faith in God. And that faith was a faith that was belief. It was a a reactionary faith based upon his emotions. It was ultimately a faith that brought about obedient actions. It comprised the whole person, the whole individual. So you see Noah being affected by dynamic faith because it changed his whole life. He was no longer just some farmer out there taking care of the fields. He was a man of God building a boat in the middle of a desert. Or at least a drought, maybe. You see it changing a whole person. And it's hard for us to understand that. But we've got to realize that dynamic faith does not just influence our intellect. It doesn't just influence our emotion. Christianity should not be an emotional religion. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have emotion in your religion, but it's not an emotional religion. That's not what religion's about. It's not about emotion. Religion and true biblical faith, which is really what religion should be, being faithful to God is about us having our whole person affected. And if your whole person is affected, that means not just your mind, not just your emotions, but also your actions and your decisions. Your will will be led to be conformed to his will. Thirdly, real quickly, and we're going to get done, I promise. Thirdly, you see that dynamic faith leads to action. And we've already incorporated this in my discussion. That's what happens when you study too much. Everything starts blurring your mind, right, Robert? It happens all the time. You start hitting these other points. But you've got to understand, if, if dynamic faith is based upon the Word of God, if it affects the whole man, the whole person, 
then obviously it's going to lead to action. And that's what you see here in this scripture here. This intellectual contemplation is translated into action and activity. It is translated into obedient things in your life. That's how we know it's dynamic because it affects things. It changes us. It leads obedience on the part of the will. And these obedient works become the fruit of the faith and become obedient works of the individual. You know, it's hard for us to always grasp the idea that we've got to get up and do something. So many of us, I think, are are comfortable where we are. But we've got to understand that these works and these actions that come into our lives bring about certain things for Christians. If we want to have a dynamic faith, we've got to have a faith that brings about and produces action in our life. Well, James reminds us of a couple things that this actually impacts and influences in our lives. First of all, dynamic faith that leads to action actually uh, brings about works that justify. You see chapter 2, verses 21, where Abraham, wasn't he justified by works, it says? And then all the way down in verse 24, you see also here, a man is justified by works and not... Not by faith alone. Now what is justification? What is that to us? What does that word mean? It's salvation. You know when someone is justified, I'll try to use a real life example. When you've got a building and you're building a house, or you're building some kind of a, a building or some structure or whatnot, and, and you want to try and make sure that that structure is correctly built. It's sound. It's done the way it's supposed to be. You want to make sure that those walls are, are put together the, the right way. And, and if ever there's a place where it doesn't meet up right, that work must be corrected. Why? Because if you don't line things up correctly, you have a risk of a failure of the whole building itself. You have a risk of maybe just a failure of that one wall. You know, that failure could lead to death of individuals, death of people, destruction of property. All those things are the the consequence of not making sure that that wall is correctly built. And so you fix it. You make sure it's framed in properly. You make sure it's justified with the building. See what I mean? What about our lives? Our lives weren't justified with God. In fact, we were unjustified. We were lost. And the Christians that James spoke to here in James chapter 2, before they were able to experience the saving blood of Jesus Christ, their lives were not lined up with God. Why? Because sin had gotten to their lives. Sin had caused it to be crooked. You know, their lives were not the way it should have been built. They, in essence, had taken over the building process and let, instead of letting God do so. And so what God does is, is by the, the blood of Christ, he allows that to cover ourselves. And as the blood of Christ covers us, covers our sin, washes it away, makes us perfect in his eyes, it also does this. It justifies us and makes us the way we should have been. Now, whenever this word here, justified, is used, it's not a a lightly term. It's not a lightly used term. It's not something that that we need to take very, you know, half-heartedly. In fact, we are justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Here, this passage is said that Abraham was justified by his works. And ultimately, down there in verse 24, it says, we, uh, we're men, we're man. By the way, this is an (laughs) all-inclusive pronoun here, man. This is not a noun here just meaning just the male species. The, the idea that, that we all experience justification 
by works. Now again, remember contextually, I'm not saying we're saved by works alone. I'm not saying we earn our ways into salvation because to be honest with you, contextually here, these individuals had already experienced the blood of Jesus Christ in their lives, okay? So get that kind of in the backseat of your mind. Don't start arguing with me in your mind. Say, what a second here. We're not justified by works. You're right, we're not. We can't earn our way into salvation. We can't earn our way into heaven. We cannot do anything that warrants that forgiveness, okay? We, we can't. Throw it out of your mind. But what he says here to those who are Christians, he says, you are justified by works. And what that means is we live our lives, we continually do those things which God wants us to do. What means, uh, what, what, was, what does that mean to our lives? What it means is we continue to be justified in our lives. We continue in the blood of Jesus Christ, much like 1 John chapter 1 talks about the idea that we are, you know, continually cleansed of our sins. By the works and those obedient actions that we take in our lives, we're able to maintain congruency with the building project. I wish I talked to David and got some good, good building terms because this is just a term. It's just an illustration that popped in my head as I'm up here speaking. But, you know, you just think about those. You want to make sure things are, are plumb, that are lined up. They're not crooked. They're straight. And by us doing obedient works in our lives, James tells us Christians that by doing those things, you maintain consistency and justification with God. Why? Because we're walking on that road that he wants us to walk on. Those works that we do justify our lives, and it's after the obedience to God and after we understand those directions that we can maintain that justification with him. Also, real quickly, verse 22, the works that we see here in a dynamic faith, they perfect us. I like that term, perfect us. Some words and some versions may say complete but when we, we think, it's not perfect as in without spot or without sin. But perfect means that we are completed. We are fully come about. We have been finished. And that's what we see that the works, the obedient works that we undertake as Christians allow us to do. It allows our faith to be perfected. It allows it to be completed. It allows us to fulfill those things which the Lord desires in our lives. And our obedient works is not something that's related to just a mere isolated event, but it's something that continues and maintains us throughout our entire lives. Appreciate y'all's kind attention. We've got four weeks to get through three chapters I want anybody to dare me not to do it. It's going to happen. Come back next week. We'll pick up in chapter 3.